Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father James Claver sharing his vocation story. For more information about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Ed Lugo, the project manager for the Servants, and today I have the distinct pleasure of sitting here with a good friend and the godfather to my oldest child, Father James Claver. Welcome to the Servants Podcast. Thanks, Ed. It's a joy to be here with you. Awesome. Um, so to give everyone a bit of a backstory to uh, who you are, um, and then I'll, I'll get into this uh, you know, as we kind of go on, but uh, you know, Father James is the third priest in the community of the Servants, and uh, Father John and Father Paul, as we explained in the last episode, uh, they founded the community in 2004. You were the brave first follower who joined the community and stayed, because I should add that there were a few guys prior to you who spent some time in discernment with the servants, but you were the first to progress to become a brother uh, and then to take vows. Is that correct? Yeah, I like to refer to myself as as the guinea pig, so to speak, <laughs> of the community. The first guinea pig. Um, well, you're a good <laughs> guinea pig. Uh, so, um, last week we talked about Father John and Father uh, Paul founding com- the community, and then we thought, you know, logically we'd talk about you being the next servant. Um, so there's the backstory to your vocation story, uh, and can you just take us through, you know, some of the basics, like where you're from? Obviously, your name was not James Claver when you were born, so your baptismal name, uh, your conversion story. Um, and your sad, unfortunate love for that pathetic football team that plays in your hometown. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> Better than the Broncos, let's just point that out. <laughs> Maybe last year, and the year before. And, and the me- number of Super Bowls that we've won. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Dallas oh, Cowboys yeah, are better. Right. Okay, you're right. <laughs> All right, go ahead. But anyway, so I grew up in Texas. Uh, mostly I say Austin. I grew up, was born in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Lived there for eight years, two years in Houston. But I like to say I'm from Austin because that's where I spent majority of my time so I have one older brother mom and dad um, original name was Richard Vaughn and I grew up in kind of a nominal Catholic household we went to mass on Sundays we prayed before meals um, that was about the extent um, I guess I'll pick up and say uh, middle school is a rough time of life um, low self-esteem didn't have a lot of friends just kind of some struggle and I also was attending a uh, Protestant middle school, uh, Church of Christ was the denomination. And that was mostly because my mom taught at the Catholic school and she didn't want me to attend the same school that she was teaching at. So they put me in the Protestant school, which almost converted me, like really, really close. Um, they got me to have lots of questions about the Catholic faith. Why do we pray to Mary? Why do we believe in the Eucharist? Uh, why do I have to go to Mass? It's the same thing every single Sunday. I know what the priest is going to say. Kind of ironic now. But nonetheless, um, I started to have lots of doubts, and I had lots of questions about the faith. And it was uh, after my ninth grade year that I went to uh, this event with my youth group at, at my parish, Catholic Art Work Camp. We would do some service projects during the day, and then at night we'd have some praise and worship and different talks and things. And uh, it was during one of those evenings that uh, I just remember feeling the profound presence of God, his love for me, uh, the guilt and weight of my sins. I went to confession for the first time in, in a few months, and uh, from there, there was just this 
the Catholic faith is real. The Lord is real. He's present. And I started to ask a lot of questions, and I got a lot of answers um, to to those questions about all of the things of our faith. Um, as I went to my youth minister, Harry, all the time, and we would talk. And it was during the course of the years of sophomore, junior, senior year that I started getting more and more active in my faith in my youth group, started coming to Mass more. Um, junior and senior year, I, was, I attended a Catholic school, started going to a daily Mass during lunch, which was awesome. And uh, it was at that time that people started saying to me, Father James, you should you should really think about being a priest. And I was like, no, don't ever tell me that. That's the worst thing you could possibly <laughs> say. That's insulting. And it finally came to a point where so many people kept saying it to me that um, my calculus teacher, who was not Catholic himself, this was when I was in a Catholic school, he pulled me aside towards the end of senior year and he said, son, I've been teaching for 30 years and I've always wanted to teach someone that's gone on to be a priest. Can I retire now? And it was like, are you freaking kidding me? And I think for, for me, it was a reality of I t- could not see myself doing this at all. Uh, I didn't think I was holy enough. I was strong enough. I was capable. But here was this reality of so many people seeing this in me, and I couldn't see it in myself. And so finally, at that point, when I was about 18, there was kind of this openness of like, all right, God, if this is what you want, I'm willing to do it. Um, so they, yeah, that's that's kind of the backstory of up till high school. Nice. Now, before we get on to after high school, I got to ask, did you feel pressured? Because, like, people would tell me that in high school, too. Like, oh, you should be a priest. Yeah. So how did how did that make you feel? Uh, I think that perhaps there was a little bit of a pressure, a little bit of a joke. Um, if I would have stayed around Texas in college, I think I would have felt that pressure oh, more. Yeah. But going away and being like, I can blaze my own trail and I can do whatever it is I want. Mm-hmm. On some level, like that made a huge difference. So maybe a little bit of pressure. And I think by the time college was starting, I was really starting to really be open to it. I didn't feel the pressure so much as like, I just want what the Lord wants. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm okay with that. Awesome. Um, so you chose to go to Franciscan University, uh, which is obviously where you met Father John and Father Paul. Um, yes. And uh, when did you, I guess the question is, you know, when did you meet them? Like, how well did you know them at Franciscan? And two, I guess, if you can talk about a little bit of, you know, you said that you were more free in college. Uh, talk about just a little bit of your kind of vocation story in college, too. Yeah, so I uh, I met Father John the first day I showed up. Father John then was Aaron Little, and he was my dorm director. I remember him, like, you know, I walk into the hall, and there's all the RAs there ready to, like, check you in, and... Richard Vaughn, <laughs> you know, typical way of like welcoming, never met this man before, um, but he seemed like a great guy. Uh, so I I started off just being a normal college student. Um, I, I I joke, but I'm, I'm serious when I say I would wake up one day and be like, yeah, I'm going to be a priest. And then I'd wake up the next day and I'd be like, no, I'm going to marry that girl over there. <laughs> and then I'd wake up the next day. Yeah, no, I'm. Just kidding! I'm really gonna be a priest, and then you know the fourth day, like no, there's a different girl that I'm gonna I'm gonna marry. So pretty much every guy's experience at Francis. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and I really like I was all over the place. Um, I got to know some friends that were in the pre theologate program, which is like a priestly discernment program, and there were some cool guys, and there were some normal guys, and there were some kind of like strange guys in the mm-hmm. pre program, but there were some normal guys too. And I just felt like you know what maybe this is something that I should do to help me discern. 
And it had, so I joined that my second semester. And in that, they, they asked you to get a spiritual director. You had to do certain prayer commitments, evening prayer, morning prayer, holy hour, stuff like that, daily mass. And I was doing a lot of those, and I needed a spiritual director. And I remember one time having a conversation with Father John. He, just in the hallway, he's like, why did you choose Franciscan? You go any other place to study study theology. Like, why why Franciscan? I was like, I, I want to grow in holiness. Hmm. And I remember saying that to him, and we kind of talked from there, and it was just a really good, profound, deep conversation. And so I had remembered that and struggling to learn how to pray and how to learn to trust in the Lord and uh, just asked one day, Father John, I heard you, you do spiritual direction. You're really good at kicking guys' butts, you know, just making them pray and keeping them accountable. Like, I need someone like that. And, you know, in the typical Father John fashion, he's like, well, let's let's sit down and have one conversation. We'll see how this goes. Mm-hmm. So we would, uh, we started off meeting, and it was just this, every time we would meet, the Holy Spirit would show up in this profound way that was noticeable to the both of us that uh, it was like the Holy Spirit was present right before our eyes, almost like the road to Emmaus of their hearts were burning within them, and, and they just see it and they know it. And just learning, he, he really taught me how to how to know the Lord, how to trust the Lord, how to follow the Lord, how to listen to his voice, how to take steps in that, in all of those small ways, the very beginning of prayer. And it was from that that, uh, that I would say my vocation grew. Um, I ended up leaving the, the pre-theology program. I, there came a point where I was just focusing a lot on what did God want me to do for the rest of my life, not focusing on what was in front of me, but... Every time I prayed, it was like, God, what, what about being a priest? Like, I need to know right now. Like, am I called to this? Otherwise, i got to change majors. Otherwise, i got to figure out the rest of my life. Like, you know, just that normal Franciscan University panic. Tell me everything now so that I can plan ahead for the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally left that just from some counsel from Father John as well as just, you know, realizing, like, this was dominating everything. It was turning into a god of sorts. So I studied abroad in Austria. Um which was great, and at that point I was kind of out of the program and just focusing on the Lord and letting the Lord love me. And uh, kind of fast forward, I got to know Father Paul a little bit. Uh, He was in a couple of my classes. Uh, He was kind of like a a big man on campus, if I could say that. Like everyone kind of knew Father Paul and was like, oh, he's that guy that's founding a new community. Um, they 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 found the community in in uh, February of 2004, which was my freshman year still, and then uh, Father John moved off campus to be with Father Paul um, that next year, and it was in my junior year when they took vows in October of 2005, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember being at that mass actually with Sacristan at that mass, just feeling this pull, this this uh, wow, these guys are incredible. Uh, they're they're awesome. Uh, the praise that was at that mass. It was one of the most memorable masses of my life. It, it was really incredible, really graceful. Uh, were you at that mass? I was not. I graduated. That's right. Like That's three right. or four months before. But it was uh, it was just an awesome thing. And you know, at the same time, like I had just started dating this girl like a month before, and you know, it had taken me a long time to get to this point to even just being open to dating because I was so fearful of like oh my gosh, if I take this girl on a date, I'm going to like lose my vocation. <laughs> and Yeah. So uh, all that to say that, you know, there was this pull at the same time, just this admiration and this appreciation uh, for them and, and just a profound um, appreciation for their ministry and such. But, uh, you know, at the same time feeling unworthy. And so uh, 
fast forward to the end of junior year, dating this girl for a long time. It was really good. And at some point, my heart stopped being in the relationship, and I couldn't explain why, and I took it to prayer. And it was finally, uh, I studied abroad in Mexico, six weeks uh, studying Spanish. This was over the summer, summer of uh, 2006. And I remember, in particular, one of those weekends going to see Our Lady Guadalupe in Mexico City, and just this profound sense that Mary was calling me out of the relationship, and that I was um, called to... uh, you know, go back into discernment of priesthood again. And so from there, it was just kind of this this closing of that door and then kind of reopening of uh, discerning the priesthood. Yeah, and um, yeah, I continued to keep in touch with Father John. He was still being my director and leading me in a lot of ways. Uh, Father Paul, I'd see occasionally and talk to occasionally. He would say like two words, you know. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's a not much has changed. Yes, yes. But... Uh, I remember it was at the end of my junior year when the community moved away to uh, Denver, where we are now. And at that point, I asked Father John, do I need to get another spiritual director since you're starting seminary? He's like, yeah, you probably need to. So uh, I got a new spiritual director that year. I was with one of the TOR friars, which was great. Um, But that senior year, it was kind of all over the map. Um, I had ended that relationship, but, you know, there's typical, like, Here's a girl, there's a girl. It, it just, yeah. <laughs> Constant change in, in college years. So it finally came all to a head. Uh, spring break of my senior year, I signed up to do an eight-day spiritual exercises retreat. I'd already taken, uh, Father John had taught the previous spring, Ignatian Spirituality, which was a great class. And we went through all the spiritual exercises. And um, I had learned so much in that class and loved it. And I knew I just needed to do an eight-day. And so uh, I went on an eight-day actually with a guy that used to be a part of the community that was uh, had done the 30-day um, and uh, alongside Dr. Joanne Storm now, Dr. Joanne Gallagher. Um, they kind of co-directed these uh, exercises for like the four of us. And it was during that eight-day that uh, the Lord very clearly assured me of his love and his grace, rooted me in being his son, being his beloved, and then towards the end of the retreat said, yes, you are called a priesthood. You're all called a religious life. And I was like, this is great. The Lord just told me my vocation. This is awesome. I was like, all right, Lord, where am I going? Like, everything is is headed up to this point. You just told me my vocation. Where where do you want me to go? And he turned to me and he said, I want you to wait. And I was like, what? (laughs) You just told me my vocation. How dare you tell me to wait? But he said, I want you to wait. I want you to be a missionary down in Honduras in Central America. Hmm. And then from there after that, religious life. So I, I listened. I was really surprised, um, but I knew that the Lord had wisdom there, and so uh, that's what I did. Is I uh, signed up with a group called the Missioners of Christ after I graduated, and uh, became a missionary down there. Nice. Um, and that is where you uh, became the token Spanish-speaking servant. What was that like learning? Did you know Spanish before you went down? So I, I had a minor in Spanish at that point, which should mean that I could hold a conversation, <laughs> but really I couldn't. Um, the six weeks in Mexico really helped, but I really couldn't speak that well. I couldn't really hold a conversation. Uh, it was really necessary for me, so I, I moved down there, studied uh, Spanish for two weeks at a language school. It was like six hours one-on-one training a day with a, with a teacher. Got dengue fever Ooh. when I was down there. 
um, which is like a malaria in that it's mosquito disease, but not near as bad. Yeah. But it sounds really, really scary, you know, especially yeah. when you're like, ooh, you got dengue. <laughs> like it's a verb or something. But, uh, yeah, it was it was an awesome experience. Missioners of Christ, they're a great organization. We did a lot of evangelization. I'm doing a lot of um, mountain missions and helping uh, bring priests in from the United States and kind of being with the people and evangelizing, going door to door and putting on, like, programs for the youth, the young adults. And that uh, that time of missionary work, it was, uh, gosh, it was it, it was so good. It was so necessary. Uh, I needed that time away from school just to focus on serving the Lord and being with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed that time as well to just be with people, to be with the poor, to see their faithfulness, uh, to learn a little bit of apologetics, and to be thrown into uh, speaking Spanish, which was brutal. Um I was asked to give talks all the time, um, especially as I my Spanish grew. But I knew that, the, like the Honduran people down there, like they're not used to people with foreign accents. They're not mm-hmm. used to really foreigners. So to get up as a gringo and have to like give this talk on the Eucharist or on marriage in Spanish in another language, it was just a whole new level of public speaking that mm-hmm. I wasn't used to at all. But it was really good because I. Uh, it was just good to be keep trusting in the Lord. You know, I was constantly kind of measuring myself and evaluating myself and, uh, you know, just feeling insufficient, being like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? I'm not making a difference. I'm awful at this. It's just the Lord encouraging me forward and just saying, look, this is not about you. I'm just keep staying faithful. And uh, it, it was a great experience. I grew as a leader down there, too. Um, by the end of my time there, I was kind of head of the men's house, uh, which was awesome to be a part of. And I love just some of my friends that I've kept in touch with to these to this day were from that time. Um, so it was a great, great kind of trial, a real testing of my vocation. Um, and at the same time, I, I just grew so much from it of uh, learning how to be on mission, learning how to trust the Lord and learning how to uh, keep depending on him for everything that I needed. Nice. Now, uh, mission and preaching you know, are obviously huge apostolates for the servants. And I guess I'm wondering, did that time contribute to your ultimate discernment with the servants? And also like, what was the transition from, uh, from Honduran missionary life to then? Cause it was right after Honduras that you joined the servants. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I, so I, you know, I had, I had, been familiar with a number of communities, obviously the TOR Franciscans uh, out at Steubenville. The CFRs actually lived right next door to us, which was awesome. Um, they were kind of our chaplains, and we would see them regularly. Uh, I'd also been familiar a little bit with the Dominicans, the community of St. John uh, from my time in Texas. And so I didn't really know, I'd been familiar with all these communities, didn't really know um where to look other than Ignatian spirituality. That was kind of like, here is something that is concrete and the the wisdom and the beauty of discernment of spirits and the clarity that that brought in my own spiritual life was just so profound that I knew that there was something there. And so um, I think it was August of 2008, came back, visited a couple of communities in the United States, Oblates of the Virgin Mary, uh, the Institute of the Incarnate Word, which is based out of D.C., and the Servants. Came out and visited four or five days, helped out Father Paul with a campus ministry retreat. 
uh, who was then Brother Paul at the time. And from there, it felt like the Servants was the best fit, even though I didn't really know, oh my gosh, this is a new community. They have two. There was kind of a third guy that was there that was perpetually like a revolving door. Someone <laughs> came in, someone left. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, just some question marks. So I went back to Honduras for my final kind of four months down there, tried to discern it, couldn't get any clarity, but partly because Honduras was just crazy. Uh, there was just a lot of demands of time and energy and so forth. And so kind of canceled my, uh, stopped my discernment, went back to the United States in December and ended up seeing them at a wedding, um, Brad Burse's wedding in late December of 2008. Father Paul, of course, in his simple way, is like, dude, what happened, man? Just... Why, why, I thought you were coming. Like, now you're not. What's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't figure <laughs> it out. I'm praying it's not clear. There's no peace. And Father Paul, you know, in his typical way, is just like, why don't you just, why don't you just come back to Denver? How about this? I'll fly you out to be a chaperone for the March for Life for the Match Buff trip because he was working at the high school there. And then I'll fly you back to Denver. You can help out with the senior retreat. And then you can spend a couple days with us. And I was like, oh, it's that easy. How about that? <laughs> Father Paul always simplifies things. Right. So I uh, did that and set up with Father John. I'm like, man, it'd be great to do another eight-day silent retreat. And he said, okay, we can make that happen. And so did that. And uh, the very first meditation of that retreat, eight-day silent retreat, I was like, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I'm here for you. And I'm here for one question. I'm here to know, is this my vocation? Are you calling me to, to be a servant of Christ Jesus? And he looked back at me, and he said, yes, I am. Hmm. And then I had another eight days of silence to, uh, <laughs> yeah, learn that more and more. So I, it was kind of crazy in the sense of, you know, back in the day when it's just two of them, it was kind of a rolling admission. Mm -hmm. So I flew back to Texas, and a week later, I moved back with my stuff, uh, you know, the few th stuff that I brought with me, and, and started my time, I think it was February 15th, hmm. 2009. 14th, February 14th, 2009, Valentine's Day. Yeah, and isn't that, yeah, that's also, I think, the day that they composed the the vision. Yes, yeah, the and it's also the day, six years later, that I was ordained a deacon. Wow. Which is kind of cool. That's crazy. All comes full circle, <laughs> Valentine's Day. That's right. Awesome. Um, So uh, what was the most surprising adjustment in your life joining a religious community? Surprising adjustment. Um, your life is not your own anymore. Um, the 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 reality of demands of obedience of Father John asks you to do something as superior, and you don't do it, and there's there's like consequences for it. Mm -hmm. You know, like just that simple thing of this is what's being asked of you, and you better get your stuff in order, your stuff in line. Um, I would say that that reality of obedience, um, which was. Perhaps in the beginning, maybe more, maybe more demanding, and I think as that went on, it it became something of a, an immense blessing. Um, but certainly, in the beginning, I would say obedience. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I working alongside you guys when I talk about you, I'm like, what I have come to know is that the hardest thing about religious life has to be obedience. Because like even Absolutely. as a like even as a husband and a father, there's an obedience to my spouse. But it's different. It's like a different level of obedience. So, uh, but it's also been, yeah, it has made me recognize the virtue of like true authentic obedience. Um, now I got to ask about uh, 
what it was like being the first guinea pig. Uh, <laughs> to like, because it's like you have these two guys who founded a community, and then you. Uh, what uh, what was that like? Yeah, yeah. What was that like? I mean, the analogy. I hope this isn't gonna be somehow insulting to Father John and Father Paul, but they they've been together five years. Yeah, and. If I'm honest, it was kind of like moving in with a married couple. <laughs> yeah. They know how each other thinks, how to anticipate each other, and here I am as this like kind of third wheel on this mm-hmm. relationship of like, okay, uh, am I fitting in? Is this right? And you know, I'd be asking Father John occasionally, like, is this working? I mean, two other guys have left. I know, like, mm. am I going to be the third guy to leave? <laughs> and you know, Father John just kind of said, no, no, you're you're doing great. You're doing great. So I I would say it uh. It definitely was a challenge. Um, it was a challenge of, you know, Father Paul being my age was great as a brother, but, you know, at first I was like, he doesn't say anything and he doesn't <laughs> care about anything except certain things. And, and it took a long time. And you know that well. And oh, it yeah. took a long time for me to really grow uh, in friendship and brotherhood with Father Paul. Um, and little by little it did. And then, you know, being alongside Father John, who was a superior, who was great, um, who's been like a father to me. Uh, for so many years now so it was it definitely presented its challenges and at the same time there was this the call of the lord from the beginning was just so clear mm-hmm. of in the midst of that particularly that first year just his affirming yes you're in the right place yes i'm calling you forward keep keep following me awesome um well he couldn't have picked a better guinea pig <laughs> uh so you were Richard Vaughn when you joined the community. Uh, when did you cease being Richard Vaughn? August third, two thousand nine. And that was uh, that wasn't vows. That was just no. that the, was like I entered novitiate. Okay. So back in the day, I think it was that I completed the application while I was living alongside the servants, kind of in the spring of two thousand nine. I think I was formally accepted in May fifteenth. And then they sent me on my poverty pilgrimage, like, as, like, you just joined the community. Here you go. Go to Mexico by yourself. Um, which sounds awful, but it, it was actually very fitting. Um, did that and then spent a month alongside Father Paul out at Covecrest doing uh, manual labor tasks, service crew stuff, building fences, cleaning toilets. And then uh, in preparation to begin teaching at Bishop Matchbuff High School, uh, I took on the name Brother James Claver. Okay. And... What do you think of the name? What 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 what's the what can you explain the name? Sure. So James, we we always take the name of an apostle and a name of an Ignatian saint as the the second name or the last name. So James was James uh, the apostle, James the Greater. In mm-hmm. case everyone's curious, yeah, yeah. James Which, the Lesser. What's the difference? James the Greater. He's just older. He's better. Oh, the older. older, not necessarily <laughs> better, but let's be honest. I mean, greater and lesser. So. Uh, yeah, so he was in the, the tight-knit group of Peter, James, and John. He was close to Jesus. There's not a whole lot of written words of what he says in the gospel, but he's a profound missionary uh, purported to have gone to Spain and then uh, is also the first one to uh, to be martyred among the apostles. So whatever that means, <laughs> I have no idea what that means. But nonetheless, there was just kind of this closest to Jesus that, that Father John had shared and this um, unique role as missionary. So I always felt that name fit. Um, the second name was was from Claver, um, St. Peter Claver. He was a 16th century Jesuit saint, 
born in Spain, entered the Society of Jesus, and um, ended up being uh, shipped over to the New World in, in modern-day Colombia and works closely with the slaves as they came off the ships uh, from Africa. He would talk to them, he would love on them, and he would uh, baptize and convert them uh, to Jesus and to the faith in a profound way and um, basically was like this this uh, slave to the slaves. Mm. He It is said that he started to count because he was asked to how many slaves he had baptized and towards the end of his life people had asked him and he said 300,000. Mm. And at the same time he'd be like, yeah, it's nothing. There's, there's nothing to that because he was just a humble man. But he was extraordinarily generous, um, extraordinarily penitential. And uh, they said in particular that they saw that Peter Claver had to do a lot to overcome himself. Um, and uh, they saw the similar struggle in me. In order to be so uh, generous apostolically, he had to overcome himself a lot. And they could see a similar struggle. And so uh, that one was a little bit harder to accept. Honestly, um, I was a little surprised at the name because I thought that he was just giving it to me back when I had taken Ignatian Spirituality in the spring of 2006. We had to write a report on a Jesuit saint. And by chance, I ended up with St. Peter Claver. And I was hmm. like, oh, Father John is really unoriginal. He's just, because I wrote this paper on him, he's wanting to give me this name. But more and more, I, when I pray with it, I realize just the fittingness of here's this uh, tremendous saint. And uh, I have a lot to live up to, but there's there's a similarity there of uh, so much that I have to overcome in order to be generous for the Lord. Awesome. So. Nice. Um, I think the last question that I have for you Actually, maybe two questions, uh, and you can answer in whatever order you want. Uh, um, so first, uh, what what has been the, the greatest blessing of religious life? And then second, uh, if if you could give advice to any young person discerning religious life, uh, what, what advice would you give? Great. Um, greatest blessing. <sighs> greatest blessing. I would say uh, being able to be a part of a community where I have a sense of identity and belonging. Um, it is such a blessing to come home at the end of the day and whatever it is that's happened, um, I can be amongst a group of men that are really dedicated to the Lord as well as uh, can be joyful. And we can unwind and share a lot. And being able to do that in a context where I learned as well how to be a father um, from the fatherhood that was shown to me that I was able to then become that same uh, gift for others. Uh, I remember years ago being in college and thinking that alongside then Brother John uh, for spiritual direction of, I would love to do what Father John has done for me for someone else and be able to do that in so many hmm. uh, men and women's lives especially high school students and, and working at the high school. Uh, that's been a, just a tremendous blessing to be able to do it a, amongst a, a community of men uh, that are united in the same direction. So that, that's what I would say would be, the, would be the greatest blessing. Biggest piece of advice. I would say two things. One, um, to be praying every day and to be learning to trust the Lord in small things. Um, it is not the like, I got to figure out what my whole future is. It's really just, do I love the Lord and do I trust him enough to follow wherever he's asking me to go? 
Um, because once you get to that point where you're just, it doesn't matter, well, Lord, what you want, I'll do it, um, then it's really easy. So I would say just learning to love the Lord and trust the Lord and praying on a daily basis. And then I would say the second is be unafraid to to, to step out when you need to. Um, make a decision. Uh, as I shared of my time in college and I was terrified to like start dating because I was lose my whole vocation. That's just dumb. Um, the Lord respects for freedom. And so be not afraid to make decisions and act when you feel like you can. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, last question. Um, which uh, godchild is your favorite godchild? Of course. Uh, <laughs> Madeline Lugo. But actually, I think very shortly I'm actually getting a yeah, second. Yeah, that's true. Another godchild is being <clears throat> baptized. Yeah, almost as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Close to it. Um, sorry, you can't be there. It's Coronavirus. Strikes again. Yeah, I know. All right. Uh, well, thank you. Um, it has been uh, a pleasure to sit here and to hear your story. Uh, I'm reminded of, yeah, I guess a decade now of friendship that I've <laughs> been able to enjoy with you and to kind of witness your transformation as a teacher. I remember sitting in <laughs> the back of your classroom because when I worked at Matchbuff and you were teaching, my office was in the back of your classroom and I would open my door and listen to you teach. And uh, <laughs> it has been, it was fun to see you become a better teacher. Uh, <laughs> it was also fun to hear the questions that those <laughs> punks would ask. And uh, Oh, yes. Um, yeah, and it's been fun to witness your transformation as a father, as a servant, uh, and now as like an older servant because you were the first guinea pig and now there's lots of other guinea pigs following <laughs> you. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you to the thousands and thousands of listeners who I'm sure turned tuned in to hear your vocation story. Uh, we are currently in the middle of Lent, and as I just said, also in the middle of coronavirus, which means that next week I'll be sitting down with Father Paul, Brother Thomas, and Brother Peter as they share about the great fast of Lent, uh, which involves not eating a lot of things that everyone normally eats and also not cooking with a lot of things that people normally cook with, which we'll get into that when we talk about some of the meals Father Paul has made over the years. Um, <laughs> As my friend John Paul Sullivan says, anything that casts a shadow, Father James can't eat. <laughs> that is incredible. Um, all right, uh, so that's it. Um, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, uh, and you can find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the servants at scjesus.org. Thank you to everyone for joining us. God bless. <laughs>